Thank you for being here. Welcome to those of you that are here, and if you're joining us online, welcome as well. We're glad to have you. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of 3 John. Pastor Jeff was in 2 John last week, and he's asked me to continue on through the Bible in 3 John, so we're going to cover the little letter of 3 John this morning, and it is one of the smallest letters in the Bible, but it has a lot of stuff. And so, if you're a note taker, I apologize that I stole all your space for my outline, uh, but hopefully you have, can find space or you have a book or something. If you're not, that's great. You can listen along with us as we go to 3 John. If you joined us last week, you would have remembered this theme, walking in truth. You would have heard that a few times from Pastor Jeff, walk in truth, walking in truth. We definitely talked about truth. What does it mean to walk in truth? Well, Jeff shared 2 John with us and that theme last week, but walking in truth means to be transformed by the truth of God's Word and as a result, living in obedience to God's work, Word. That's what it, it means to walk in the truth. A life that matches your confession a life that is marked by servanthood. Galatians 6, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. A life of self-sacrifice. That's what it means to walk in the truth. Would you read Third John with me this morning or follow along as I read? The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to you, something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, and in the first four verses, what we're going to see is the results of walking in the truth. And that's why I explained it for us, as Jeff had alluded to last week, to walk in the truth. 
Because the first thing we see are results of walking in the truth. And the first thing in verse 2 is Gaius, who walked in the truth, he experienced spiritual health. Now verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well, as it goes well with your soul. Some may use this verse, maybe prosperity gospel thinkers, to argue that what God is saying is God wants us to have good health. Now that may be true in some circumstances, but this is not a promise to mankind that God wants us to experience good health. Certainly what we would conclude from this is that Gaius was wishing, or sorry, John was wishing that Gaius would experience good health. We do that when we pray together, when we gather together in small groups, sometimes when we hear about prayer requests, we pray before the Lord and we ask that he would grant health and good health to those that are experiencing difficulties, don't we? But this isn't a promise that that's what God wants for us. And we know that because God uses difficult situations to transform us into his son and into holiness. But we know that physical health is important. 1 Timothy 4.8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. Taking care of our bodies and valuing our physical health is important because God's given those to us. We are to be good stewards of those things, but they're not the end all. Having perfect health and prosperity is not the end all, the end goal for the Christian. Our spiritual health is. So a good steward would take care of his health. But Gaius was walking in the truth, and as a result, he was experiencing spiritual health. His soul was healthy. And why? Because of these two words, obedience and submission. He was obedient to God's word, and he submitted to God's word and God's authority. Those are keys to experiencing spiritual health as a Christian. A quote that has often been given to Spurgeon it says this, doctrines in the head without holiness in the life are of no service. I say that again. Doctrines in the head without holiness in the life are of no service. Walking in the truth is important. And it's more than just knowing. It's action. And if you read James 2, you would understand this and you would know this, that James says multiple times, faith without works is what? Faith without works is dead, right? Dead, as in you can know everything you need to know about the Bible and God and theology, but if you don't live it, it's dead. It's a useless faith. That's what that word means, useless, worthless. So it's a useless faith, one that does not have deeds. Now there are many opportunities here at Grace Baptist for you to be involved in exercising the mind and understanding and knowing theology. Jeff loves to teach. They love to teach here. There's lots of opportunities to learn what God's Word says and theology. And actually tonight there's an opportunity for you even to come and participate in the theology class later. And we have all these opportunities and we have people that jump at those opportunities. We love to learn, right? But there are also opportunity, equal opportunities for you to serve and for you to use the things that you know in your head and to practice them. Now, oftentimes, 
I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes you're more inclined to go to those things where you're going to get something out of it, right? Where it's a theology forum, maybe, or something where you're going to go to a Bible study. And those are great. Those are good things. I would not ever say and encourage you not to go to those. But if you're not taking the opportunities to serve as well, then James would say your faith without these works is dead. So it's important to spiritual health to have obedience to God's word and to live it out because our lives are meant to be, li- to be lived out. Right? We can study all the theology we want and it's great to know it, but theology that's not practical is useless. So we ought to be careful there to take opportunities to live out our faith. So the results of walking in the truth, the first thing is that there is spiritual health. Agaius experienced that spiritual health. The second thing in verse 3 we find is that you're a testimony to those around you. As Gaius walked in the truth, he was a testimony to those around him. Believers had reported back to John, men that John had sent, missionaries, about the work that Gaius had done, and it was a positive testimony to the believers. What do people say about us? Because when you live out your life, when you live your life, people notice, and it says something. So what does your life say to your neighbors and to the people that you interact with on a daily basis? What does your lifestyle and your choices, what do they tell, what do those things tell the world that you value right now? Do the things you talk about, do they promote Jesus, or do they promote yourself? Because whether or not you like it, your life lived out actually says something to people. You don't get to choose whether or not that's the case. That is the case. And what you live out reveals what's in your heart, as we know God's Word tells us. So what is your life lived out? What is it saying? Are you being a positive testimony of God's grace to those around you, as Gaius certainly was by walking in the truth? And then the third thing, because of his walking in the truth, he filled fellow believers with great joy, with joy in verse 4. Now we read about this in 2 John, when John says the same thing, that his joy might be made complete. John spoke of this in 2 John, we see it here in 3 John, it gives him no greater joy than to see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ living out and walking in the faith. And so the reality is is that when we live out our faith, we actually encourage fellow believers. We encourage them. We bring joy to them, especially when it's somebody who has mentored us and lived and come alongside of us and helped us. We certainly offer great joy to them. And in this case, John may have led Gaius to the Lord. We don't know, but it kind of seems that maybe he was a spiritual father to Gaius. But either way, John's joy was completed, and he finds no greater joy than to see that Gaius is walking in the truth. And that is very true. I don't know if you've had this experience with children, or if you've ever volunteered in ministry before, or stood in ministry for a long time. You, you will see this, and, and just as you live life, you'll see this. But one of the greatest things as a, as a minister, as a pastor, to see is people that are living out their faith and walking with God. And you maybe would say yes and amen to that as you see people do that. To see lives changed, 
for the go- because of the gospel is a great thing. And it makes all the lows and all the highs of ministry worth it. And uh, in ministry, in youth ministry, where I have worked for a bit and in the past, I have been able to see that and to see kids go on for the Lord. And it is a great thing. It really is. And it fills people, those around us, with great joy. So when we walk in the truth, we fill other believers with great joy. And so the results of walking in the truth in the first four verses. And then we come to hospitality personified. And that's where we find our theme for today's message. Hospitality personified. This is the meat of our time and our text here this morning. Because we want to see how Gaius lived out the truth. Hospitality personified in verse 5, verse 8. I want to go through a few points on hospitality that we see here in the text. The first one being in verse 5b. Hospitality is done for strangers. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. We're going to be studying Leviticus next year. And I'm just going to give you a precursor. I want to read Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34 for you. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Does that sound familiar to the New Testament? To love your neighbor as yourself. We see that in Leviticus. Who knew that Leviticus would have anything for us? We're going to find out next year. But to love our neighbor as ourselves, Not to love our neighbor, but to love the stranger who sojourns in the land with you. So the people that Gaius was ministering to, they were, they were strangers to him. He didn't know who they were. The text tells us that. But they were ministers of the gospel. They were probably missionaries coming to share the message of Christ or maybe making their way through where, where Gaius was. And he showed hospitality to them. He didn't get a chance to vet them. Right? John had sent them most likely, but he didn't get a chance to go, you know, I'm going to get to know these guys a bit before I let them into my house. He offered hospitality to fellow workers, strangers, as they came through, and he offered that to them without making any predetermined judgments. Now, at Grace Baptist, I've certainly felt, and, and my family certainly has felt, your hospitality and your kindness and your great graciousness to us. You have taken care of us. You've taken care of our needs. You've provided for us. You've had us into your homes. All these great things. And when I've asked some people in the church what they enjoy, what they like about grace, why do they come to grace, I've heard before multiple times is because of the family, the family atmosphere, the fellowship, the hospitality amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a great thing. That is a great thing to be known for. And I want to commend you as a church to, to doing that and, and thank you for doing that and say continue on in that. But we don't want to ever say, you know, this is enough. This standard's enough. We can always do better, right? We can always do better. And one thing that I would challenge us on this morning to consider is our hospitality towards strangers, towards those we don't know, towards those who we don't have real close relationships with at church on Sunday, to those people that we don't really, you know, maybe want in our houses. 
Maybe it's our neighbors. Maybe it's some people in our community. Can we spend more time and resources on people that need, need things, that need love? And yes, continue doing it to those, and those brothers and sisters in Christ that are here, but can we do it to those outside of Grace Baptist Church? The Greek word for hospitality means love of strangers. To, to love a stranger, that seems kind of odd. But that's the Greek word, a love of strangers. And we put that together with Leviticus. Hospitality then becomes the act of loving a stranger more than yourself. May we pray that God would give us a love and care for people around us that are needy. The orphan, the widow, those that are in need. May we act in hospitality towards them. Which brings us to our second point in 6b. Hospitality takes care of of needs. See, Gaius, he gave them in 6b what they needed to continue on in their journey, in the, in the mission that they had come to do. He took care of their needs, and true hospitality takes care of the needs of others. But in order to do that, you actually have to know what other people's needs are. And how do you know unless you ask? How do you know unless you spend time with somebody, right? We often rely on others to find those things out for us. And some of us are gifted in seeing those things and finding that information out. But that doesn't not become an excuse for all of those that are just sitting ready to provide a need but not willing to go out and find out what it is. So we ought to be looking for opportunities, certainly, to care for the needs of others. And maybe one perfect example of what you guys are doing here at Grace and what we've seen going over for a few months now is the Kids of Kindness Ministry. A great opportunity for you to provide for the needs of some kids in the community and surrounding that don't have meals on weekends. A great opportunity to be there to to provide food, maybe to come and to pack some of those bags that are going to be given to those kids. We don't know what God's going to do with that, but it's taking care of needs that are around us. Might we take care of the needs of those around us? Luke 14, 13, Jesus says this, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Might we act in hospitality to those who can't repay us, who can't invite us back into their house because Maybe they don't have enough room or enough space or even the resources to do that. Who can't give us, take us out for a meal or provide a meal for us because they don't have the disposable income that we have to do that. Might we do that and show hospitality to those because they can't repay us, not because we're looking to be repaid. So in the ancient world, the practice of hospitality meant graciously receiving an alienated person into one's land into their home, into their community, and providing directly for that person's physical needs. And boy, could the the church universal do a better job of this. Like, might we be known as a church, not just Grace Baptist, but as the universal church of Christ, may we be known for doing that. Because what's so easy for us to do, especially in North America right now, and across the world, is to give that to the government. You guys take care of that. 
you know, and maybe they use whatever money they're using to do that. You guys take care of the physical needs. You guys offer the programs. You guys offer the money. You take care of all this stuff. We don't want to be bothered with that. What if the Church of Christ could be known for taking care of the needs of others, for paying bills that need to be paid because they're so behind in debt, for providing meals for those who don't have enough income to provide meals. Not so that we might, everybody might live you know, a luxurious life, but just so that their needs would be taken care of. Would we take responsibility for that and not leave that to somebody else? And what would the church look like if that was how we lived? And that's what it was like when it was a communal body of believers in the New Testament. And there wasn't as much of this individualism. So might we freely give because we have freely received, right? We're not entitled to anything that we have. All of that has been freely given to us. Might we freely give that away as well? So hospitality takes care of needs. And then the, the next one, hospitality honors God in 6C. It honors God because when we show hospitality, we have the opportunity to show those around us the grace that has been shown to us, the hospitality that has been shown to us. When we were strangers, aliens, enemies of God, God offered to us salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to take care of our greatest need, our sin. Because with our sin, there was no way to have fellowship with God. And God took care of that in His hospitality through His Son, through His grace. Might we use our hospitality as an opportunity then to honor God and to show others the hospitality that has been lavishly given to us in Christ. Hospitality honors God because it shows others the hospitality that we have been given, the hospitality of our loving Father. And then we see hospitality is a witness to the lost. A witness to the lost in verse 7. We come back to this theme after we reached it in the first few verses. But hospitality is an opportunity, a witness to the lost people. Let me read verse 7. For they have gone out for the sake of the name Jesus Christ. That's, they're, they're going out in the name of Christ. That's what that means, that name. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now we've seen this practice in the church before. If you've ever visited a church, you have seen where they ask for an offering. And what they will do is they will say, if you are visiting, if you are a guest here, do not feel obligated to give. That is up to you, but don't feel obligated. We're not asking you for money. Because, maybe because the church has gotten the reputation of only wanting their money, I don't know. But we see that theme here again. And Paul, the same thing for Paul. When he didn't want to rely on Christians, on fellow brothers, to forward his ministry. And we read about that in, in some of his writings. And he would even go as far as to work and have a second job to be able to afford to go around and share the gospel. Because he didn't want to rely on other people. Not because he was super proud, but because he didn't want to, he didn't want to be a mooch, he didn't want to be lazy, he didn't want, he wanted his testimony before the world to be pure, right, so that he, so he did that and did not ask for money, and so hospitality in that case is an opportunity for us then to be a witness to the lost, by not begging them and asking them, but by just being, giving them opportunities to come in and have their needs taken care of, to worship freely here with us. And in 3 John, we see the word testify at least four times 
in verse 3, 6, and twice in verse 12. This idea of, a, of your testimony, of being a witness. So Gaius' actions were a testimony of God at work in his life. And hospitality were, was the results of him walking in the truth. And that's important for us to get right. We don't want to be people pleasers. That's not what I'm asking when we, when we uh, read and be a witness to the, to the world. We're not wanting to just please people for the sake of pleasing people and doing what everybody wants us to do. We want to be obedient to God's word and be founded on that. So you ought to be careful there. But we still got to ask the question, does our witness help or does our witness hinder the faith? Does your witness help or does your witness hinder the faith? And then in verse 8, we see our next thing. Hospitality is participation in the work of Christ. It helps to hospitality to further the work of Christ. We see in Gaius' case, furthering the truth in verse 8. Supporting missionaries, being a part of what missionaries are doing, being a, a part of those that are sharing the gospel, spreading the good news are doing. We are participating in the work that God is doing around the world with the missionaries that we support, with the ministries that Grace Baptist supports. And that is a great thing, to be a part of that. And then to have them come back and to report what God has done and to celebrate with them that there's been new baptisms and new believers, that is a great thing. And it is a blessing to be a part of those things. And hospitality and caring for the needs of others is a participation in the work of Christ and what God is doing. What is Jesus say in Matthew 25, when we serve others by showing hospitality, we are doing it for Christ. Right? Literally, when we serve other people, we are serving Christ. And when we show hospitality, we are showing it to Christ. May we be a blessing in that way. And then in verse 5 and 8, we see hospitality is required. It's a picture in verse 5 of God's, of, sorry, of faithfulness to God. A hospitable person is someone who understands the grace and the hospitality has been shown to him, and as a result, lives that out in return to those around him. Now, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, if we were to read those, the, the requirements for leadership in the church, hospitality is on that list for a leader, for an elder in the church. And John 3 verse 8 says, therefore, we ought to support people like these, be a part of that. Be ready at all times. Be intentional about being a part of caring for others. Now, in, the, in a, the society in which we live, which is very individualistic, that is hard. And that does not come naturally to any of us. Some of us maybe have the gifts of hospitality because that may be a gift that the Lord has granted to us. But by and large, a lot of us, we need to be intentional about these kinds of things, about this kind of thing. It doesn't come naturally. Not when, not when every commercial you see is trying to get your money or your time, right? Or every, everything going on around us, every program for the kids is always vying for your time and your energy and your money. You have to be intentional about these things. It won't come naturally. But hospitality is required. One of the things about getting into a, a new house is that you start to look around and when it's a 35 year old house you look around and go oh that could be updated and that could be updated and you know we just moved into a house so I'm putting myself on the spot here but Bailey and I have talked and looked around and and there's certainly been some things that we would love to do in this new house that we bought but 
then we read about hospitality, we read about caring for others' needs, and I have to go, okay, well, if I need to be intentional about this, then maybe some of this stuff isn't as important as I think it is. Might we reorder our lives in such a way that we budget and plan according to being able to be hospitable, to care for others' needs. Maybe not live with so little disposable income that we cannot afford to actually be caring and taking care of other people. Maybe that means you need to put something in your budget line for monthly and say this is what we're going to give to just take care of somebody's need this month. Rather than waiting until you find, okay, well, once we've paid our bills, done our spending, what's left over, okay, let's spend that. What if we were to do that before that and budget accordingly to that? And maybe we would miss out on certain things that we would normally do, but we'd be a blessing to other people and we participate in the work that God is doing. It was characteristic of the churches during these times to have a deep care, a deep concern, and a deep fellowship with one another and those around them. The church today, we may miss out on that experience because we're so busy with our own stuff, with our own time, with our own resources, that we may miss opportunities that God has for us to be hospitable and to be a blessing. And so we see in our next point, a man who put himself first, and as a result, we see the very opposite of what's going on with hospitality. And pride personified in verse 9 and 10 is what we see. Now, what's the big deal going on here? Like, John is confronting Diotrephes here. He's confronting him. Is he confronting him because he's a false teacher? Not so. In 2 John, we see that confrontation for being a false teacher. Diotrephes is not rejecting Christ. He's a, he's a brother in Christ, and yet John is confronting him here. And what he's confronting him for is the fact that he is not walking in the truth. And that's a big deal, that he's not walking in the truth. That's not, he's not living in according with what he says. How often do I do that? That's a, that is a big deal. It matters how we live. And it mattered so much that John confronted Diotrephes here, and we see why. Because his life was not lived according to the Word of God. It was lived according to his own glory. So pride, first thing in verse 9a, pride serves, sorry, does not serve God first. Pride and selfishness in our hearts serves ourselves first when there's pride there. Now before we continue on, I want to just say that the next few points on pride here, we all have an opportunity to be guilty of these. And we ought not to look at Joshua's and go, oh yeah, look at that guy. What a, like, I would never do that. Because it's such a slippery slope for us to walk down some of these things that we see happening in the life of diatrophies. And so we ought to take careful notice of these things. Pride does not serve God first. Diotrephes put himself first. Now there are many in the church who are like this. And in some churches, it's the pastor. Sometimes it's the elder. Sometimes it's the member. And we forget that to be a minister... What that means is to be a servant. And to serve means you put other people first. Jesus' own disciples had this argument, right? Matthew 20, we see what Jesus says to his disciples after they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Your life is not about you. Grace Baptist Church, our lives are not about us. And selfishness can be subtle and can be hard to see. And pride can be subtle and hard to see, but it can be there. We don't get the final say on everything. The second thing, pride does not submit to authority, 9b. Pride does not submit to authority. Because he didn't submit to authority or acknowledge authority, Diotrephes became a dictator. He had the final say, not Christ. And we've sung about the total opposite this morning. Take my life, Lord. Jesus has no rival, not even to me. I don't get to be on the throne of my life. That's Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Decrease, sorry. That was not how Diotrephes was living. And John had sent a letter previously, as he makes reference to, and it was ignored by Diotrephes. He wasn't even going to listen to the apostle, John. John, who walked with Jesus, who heard from Jesus, who heard Jesus' teaching. He wouldn't even listen to that authority. And what does John thirteen twenty say? Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. So you reject the person that I send. It's like rejecting the Father. And Jesus was talking, obviously, of himself. And in being rejected, you reject the Father. So when we reject Christ's authority, we reject God the Father's as well. We don't know why Dodgers was going on this power trip. We don't know if it's because he wanted to be the big cheese in town and be the one who got all the accolades for bringing people to Christ. We don't know exactly what his deal was. We do know that he had pride and that he struggled mightily. That he wanted to be the guy in charge. He wanted to call the shots. He didn't want to submit to anybody, which meant he... He was living for his own glory. He wanted the glory for himself. But the next thing we see about pride, it talks negatively of other people in verse 10a. Pride talks negatively of others. Diotrephes was self-serving, and because of that, he gossiped about John. And we have done this before. You and I have done this. We want to be number one. We want to look good. And so what we do is, you know, we don't, maybe we don't talk real bad about people, but we kind of put them down in front of other people, um, and you especially do this in like your teenage years when it's a bunch of guys, I don't know why you do that, but you do, and you're like, you put each other down because you want to look like the best, and we do that, and we, you know, we laugh about it when kids do it, but then we do it as adults, and we're guilty of it. We put others down so that we look good, we gossip about them, we talk negatively about them to look better, that's pride. Verse 10a, pride talks falsely of others. Right? He was slandering John. Talking bad about him, twisting the truth, spreading lies about him in order to maybe influence the people that he was working alongside to influence them against John. So pride talks falsely. We've done that, maybe just twisted the truth a little bit or our version of the truth in order to make someone look bad. And 10b, pride fails to be hospitable. So not only is he talking bad and, and gossiping and slandering and serving himself, but he, he's failing to even be hospitable. You know, he can't even at least do that. You can't put other people's needs first. 
when you are number one. You can't put the needs of others before your own if you serve yourself. So pride fails to be hospitable. And the final thing, pride breaks fellowship with believers. So there's people in the church here that were trying to use their gifts, trying to be obedient to God's word and act hospitably. And what did Dodgeries do when that happened? He threw them out of the church. He said, nah, you're not going to do that. That's how far his pride and selfishness had gone. He was throwing people out of the church. He was breaking Christian unity and Christian fellowship because he wanted it his way. Now again, we don't do that at the church here necessarily, but we do it subtly. How many people do you keep at an arm's length because of some silly things? How many people have you broke fellowship over the years with over something that's silly? Something that does not really matter that much in the grand scheme of eternity. Pride. Pride breaks Christian unity. It breaks Christian fellowship. And one truly cannot love God and reject other members of God's family. You can't do that. So pride breaks fellowship. Dotchfries was condemned because he was living contradictory to the truth. He was saying one thing and he was living differently. That's why he was condemned. Not because he was a false teacher, but because he was not living in the truth and walking in the truth. That's an important matter. Might we be people that walk in the truth? And then verse 11 and 12, we see the exemplary model. Imitate good, not evil. So if someone's doing good, he's from God. If someone's doing evil, he has not seen God. He's not experienced the gospel because he cannot live out the gospel that he has truly experienced. Life is about imitation. And you know this if you've had kids in the past. You know this more than anybody. Life is about imitation. And we learn by imitating. And we learn right through to adulthood by imitating. Right? There are people that we follow because we look up to them. And we imitate them. And we do what they do. And the question is for us this morning is who do you imitate? Who do you look up to? What are those, what's the character of those men and women in your lives? Are they humble? Are they proud? Do they serve others? Are they self-sacrificial or do they serve themselves? People who walk in the truth, they live out what God's Word says. And Christ obviously should be our first priority for imitating. And in the second thing in verse 12 we see is Demetrius imitated Christ. What John's not saying is he's not trying to set up this thing where, okay, we want to get as many followers for Demetrius as we can because look at his testimony. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos. We don't associate based on that. That's not what John is getting at. What he's saying is, based on the testimony of Demetrius, he is worthy to be followed, to be imitated. Why is that? Because he imitates Christ. Not because he's a great guy. Not because he's charismatic, not because he does a lot of good things. He is worthy to be followed because he imitates Christ. And Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians. Be imitators of me because I imitate Christ. So are you imitating Christ? It says a lot about somebody when you look at their followers. But do you imitate Christ? Does the person that you look up to imitate Christ? Christ, are you leaving a good example 
a Christ-worthy example for those to be followed? And would somebody come alongside and commend you to somebody else and say, follow him because they follow Christ. They love Christ. They imitate Christ. Demetrius imitated Christ. And then our final point, personal fellowship is always better. In verse 13 and 15, we see this. Pastor Jeff shared in 2 John last week a little bit about this, and I don't want to go into it, but what a blessing it is to have Christian friends, to have Christian fellowship. And what does he say? I don't want to write you another letter. I want to come and I want to see you face to face. Have you ever missed Christian fellowship that much? Where it's like, I got to be there on Sunday to see you. I got to be there to small groups to see you, to fellowship with you. Or are we okay to do it on our own? Because the Christian life is not meant to be lived on our own. It's not meant to be done alone. And that kind of fellowship, it starts with hospitality. Taking care of the needs of others. Opening up your home. Spending time with others. Blessing others. Because your needs have been taken care of first by Christ and by His blessing on us here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for another morning to be together. And we thank You for this small little letter to Gaius. We thank You for the insights in it. And we just pray that you would help us this morning to live out your truth, to walk in truth, to have lives that are transformed, that, are, that our actions would line up with what we say. God, we need your help to do that, and we need your grace to do that, because naturally it does not come to us to do just that. And so we need and pray for your strength. God, we thank you for your hospitality that's been shown to us, specifically in the through Jesus Christ on the cross for us. But God, you have blessed us in so many ways as people. And God, may we in turn use those blessings to bless others, to care for others' needs. Help us not to, um, to focus on ourselves. Help us to be selfless and to, to give of what you've abundantly given us. God, we're so grateful for your love for us, for your grace in our lives. And we just thank you for Jesus Christ this morning. And for all the work that he's done for us on the cross, God, we thank you. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.